Welcome to Rigo's Business Review, where we bring you the latest in leadership, business, and tech. I'm your host, Carl Rigo. Join us each week as we share unexpected insights and underreported stories from the world of business to inform, uplift, and inspire, and make you think. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the podcast. This is episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. Which empire? Why, Amazon, of course. Today we'll cover some management insights from Jeff Bezos, including what is the two pizza rule? Then we'll go to the stars in the billionaire space race, and we'll end with inspiration for those who are job hunting or in sales. We start by traveling back in time. Imagine it's 1994, and you have an idea to start a business using a new technology called the internet. And you would like to start a business that offers every book ever published. Where would you, where would you found this business and why? Well, Jeff Bezos chose to leave his job in New York at a quantitative hedge fund and drive cross country to Seattle. Why? Because he knew there would be sufficient tech talent there because Microsoft was based in the area. And back in 1994, Microsoft was the biggest game in town when it came to tech. Seattle was also 400 miles from the largest book wholesaler in the country. 27 years later, and it worked out pretty well. How well? Some have called Bezos the greatest CEO of the last 20 years. He founded Amazon and took it from zero to 1.6 trillion in market value. The first time that's ever been done by one founder. Uh, the, um, Amazon is seen by many as the most trusted brand in the world and has hundreds of millions of customers. Bezos is now the wealthiest person in modern history. Amazon is the second most valuable company in history behind only Apple. And the stock is at an all-time high, coming off of its first ever $125 billion revenue quarter. It's not a bad CV, huh? As you may have heard, he stepped down as CEO last week. Well, we believe success leaves clues. So what did he say and what are some of the key takeaways? We'll cover some highlights from Jeff Bezos' farewell letter to his employees. It says, fellow Amazonians, I'm excited to announce that this Q3, I'll transition to executive chair of the Amazon board and Andy Jassy will become CEO. In the exec chair role, I intend to focus my energies and attention on new products and early initiatives. Andy is well known inside the company and has been at Amazon almost as long as I have. He will be an outstanding leader and he has my full confidence. This journey began some 27 years ago. Amazon was only an idea and it had no name. The question I was asked most frequently at that time was, what's the internet? Blessedly, I haven't had to explain that in a long while. Today, we employ 1.3 million talented, dedicated people, serve hundreds of millions of customers and businesses, and are widely recognized as one of the most successful companies in the world. How did that happen? Invention. Invention is the root of our success. We've done crazy things together and then made them normal. We pioneered customer reviews, one-click, personalized recommendations, Prime's insanely fast shipping, Kindle, Alexa, marketplace, infrastructure, cloud computing, career choice, and much more. If you get it right, a few years after a surprising invention, the new thing has become normal. People yawn. 
and that yawn is the greatest compliment an inventor can receive. Bezos goes on to say, As Amazon became large, we decided to use our scale and scope to lead on important social issues. Two high-impact examples, our $15 minimum wage and the climate pledge. In both cases, we staked out leadership positions and then asked others to come along with us. In both cases, it's working. Other large companies are coming our way. I hope you're proud of that as well. I find my work meaningful and fun. I get to work with the smartest, most talented, and most ingenious teammates. It's a joy to work on this team. As much as I still tap dance into the office, I'm excited about this transition. As exec chair, I will stay engaged in important Amazon initiatives, but also have the time and energy I need to focus on the Day One Fund, the Bezos Earth Fund, Blue Origin, which we'll talk about in a moment, the Washington Post, and my other passions. I've never had more energy, and this isn't about retiring. I'm super passionate about the impact I think these organizations can make. Amazon couldn't be better positioned for the future. We are firing on all cylinders, just as the world needs us to. We have things in the pipeline that will continue to astonish. Keep inventing, and don't despair when at first the idea looks crazy. Remember to wander. Let curiosity be your compass. It remains day one. Jeff. So you can see his employee letter covers quite a lot of ground. So what do they mean by it's always day one? This is a really important part of the Amazon philosophy. Bezos says, had said previously, quote, we can have the scope and capabilities of a large company and the spirit and heart of a small one, but we have to choose it. And I'll come back to some of their management principles uh, in a few moments. But what else has Bezos and the company achieved under his leadership? Well, have you ever ordered from Amazon? And do you do so fairly often? Well, uh, in the U.S., you're not alone. Uh, in the U.S., more people have, more households have paid Amazon Prime memberships than celebrate Christmas. 82% of U.S. households have Amazon Prime memberships, while only 77% celebrate Christmas, uh, which is an interesting statistic. Another secret to their success is that along the way, Amazon turned what were initially costs, cost centers to them. They turned those into big profitable businesses. For example, Amazon Web Service, the big cloud infrastructure provider, which offers on-demand computing platforms and APIs, which are application program interfaces to individuals, companies, and governments on a pay-as-you-go basis. That business was developed uh, partly because it was a, that was a big cost for Amazon. So once they sort it out for themselves, they realized they can offer it to others. They're also the second largest employer in the U.S. But it didn't start out that way. Along the way, Amazon counterintuitively at the time pursued a focus on growth rather than profitability. They reinvested in, in the growth of the business rather than focusing on turning a profit every year in the early years. And the approach eventually inspired others to follow suit, which we'll talk about. But um, Amazon was founded in 1994, and it took about seven years to turn its first profit, and they went public in 1997. So, and when they did turn, turn that profit, it was a tiny profit of... Uh, one cent per share on revenues of more than one billion. Before that, Amazon had famously lost money for its first 17 straight quarters as a public company, losing a combined $2.8 billion. Obviously, that changed over the years. But Amazon's commitment and focus to risk-taking and innovating and trying new things definitely paid off with things like Amazon Web Services, Amazon Prime, and Prime Video, then with Alexa, 
artificial intelligence and voice, Internet of Things, and Kindle devices. Some bets didn't pay off, such as the Fire Phone, which was a $150 million loss and write-off. But throughout, Bezos has maintained a focus on management and finding talented people. So for example, some of his management practices are legendary. Uh, case in point, have you heard of the, the two-pizza rule for teams and meetings? It means no team should be larger than what could be fed by two pizza pies. And that means you have small teams who own what they create versus large teams with many dependencies who cannot make quick quality decisions and execute. Another key takeaway and statistic that speaks volumes and is something that is important to me because I'm really passionate about employee engagement is how does Amazon stack up in terms of uh, executive level employee staff turnover? Well, their annual executive turnover is just 2% per year versus 15% for other high growth companies and 27% for Tesla. So again, when you, when you lay out all the facts, those are some quite impressive results over the years. Now, Amazon has also been controversial. For example, reportedly engaging in some union-busting activities. Uh, people complain about the volume of counterfeit products on the platform and that they seemingly pay super low effective corporate tax rates certain years, or that they do pay really low or zero corporate tax rates and effective tax rates some years, and that they certain governments uh, uh, contend that they engage in anti-competitive practices. Now, we know that as companies grow and become more prosperous, they become more influential and powerful. The EU has recently opened a, a second antitrust investigation uh, against Amazon. One of these investigations is about the use of users' data, and the other has to do with e-commerce practices for distorting competition, allegedly. The U.S. Justice Department has also is also investigating Amazon. And while the U.S. has been criticized by for not enforcing its antitrust rules, uh, the legendary Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis famously wrote, we must make our choice. We may have democracy or we may have wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, but we cannot have both. Hence why, in theory, anti-competition practices and law is very important to the United States when they choose to actually focus on it and enforce it. Which is why recently the U.S. Judiciary Committee antitrust subcommittee investigated the big tech players, including Amazon. And they did an exhaustive review of documents and interviews. And they came to the conclusion that Amazon has a significant and durable market power in the U.S. online retail market. And that Amazon controls roughly 50% or more of the online e-commerce in the U.S. The committee said that as the dominant marketplace for online shopping, the platform has monopoly power over many small and medium-sized businesses that do not have a viable alternative to Amazon for reaching online customers. The committee also said that about 37% of these third-party sellers who use Amazon rely on it as their sole source of income. In addition, the committee notes that Amazon achieved its current dominant position in part through acquiring its competitors, including Diapers.com and Zappos and that that and other practices helped it to further shore up its competitive moats.
They say that the company's control over and reach across its many business lines enable it to self-preference and disadvantage competitors in ways that undermine free and fair competition. And lastly, the committee mentions that Amazon has engaged, in their view, in anti-competitive conduct in its treatment of third-party sellers. And then Amazon's dual role as an operator of its marketplace that hosts third-party sellers as well as a seller in that same marketplace, creates an inherent conflict of interest. I could go on, but you see where this line of reasoning is going as far as from the perspective of the U.S. government. In terms of influence, it's noteworthy that Amazon was second only to Facebook among the big tech players in terms of uh, money spent on lobbying the U.S. government. Amazon spent nearly $18 million dollars lobbying on issues including broadband, intellectual property, postal reform, and healthcare. And lastly, in terms of influence, Jeff Bezos also owns the Washington Post, which is a prominent newspaper. On the antitrust front, of course, Amazon disputes these claims. For example, they said that they disagreed with the European Commission's assertions and will continue to make every effort to ensure it has an accurate understanding of the facts. And similarly, the new CEO, Andy Jassy, will be spending a fair amount of time talking with the U.S. Antitrust Committee, given the ongoing investigations there. And what about on the taxes front? Well, CNBC reported that Amazon's low tax bill mainly stemmed from the Republican tax cuts of 2017, uh, carry forward losses from years when the company was not profitable, tax credits for massive investments in R&D, and stock-based employee compensation. So the company would argue that they typically do pay their fair share of taxes and in cases where they have not paid the typical level, there were good reasons for that. We'll return to this subject in more detail in future episodes in our Monopoly Watch series. For now, let's move on to the space race between the two wealthiest multi-billionaire entrepreneurs in the world. Speaking of Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' rocket company, what's the difference between his vision and Elon Musk's vision for humanity's future in space? Well, Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX, who, when asked about Jeff Bezos, famously replied, Jeff who? Elon says that he wants to launch people to Mars, establish a self-sustaining city there, and use the red planet as a base from which to further explore the solar system. And he aims to reach and have a sustainable base on Mars this lifetime. Bezos, meanwhile, wants to put a permanent base on the moon, build up huge space colonies, and eventually have one trillion people living and working in space, which will take multiple generations to get there, and Bezos acknowledges that the tech to do so doesn't yet exist. Who's winning so far? Well, thus far, SpaceX has a clear lead in terms of sending reusable rockets into orbit and reclaiming them successfully, having manned flights and NASA contracts, and so on. There's a long history and rivalry between the two companies and the two men, which we'll cover another time. For now, we just want to point out some headlines on the differences. So essentially, the difference in between their visions is like that of two Matt Damon movies. Elon Musk's vision is more like that of the movie The Martian, where the astronauts establish greenhouses on Mars and cultivate the red soil 
to set up a foothold there. Versus the second Matt Damon movie, which is closer to Jeff Bezos' vision, is the film Elysium, where you have self-contained floating space stations like huge terrariums with their own gravity. Bezos has said, the solar system can support a trillion humans, and then we'd have a thousand Mozarts and a thousand Einsteins. Think how incredible and dynamic that civilization will be. While in contrast, Musk has said, we must make the human race multiplanetary to survive potential catastrophe. And he said, he wants to die on Mars, just not on impact. He wants to establish that city on Mars in his lifetime. Who will win this race to take humanity into space at scale and on a permanent basis? It's anybody's guess. To be continued. We'll keep watching and cheering them on to infinity and beyond. Now, back down to Earth for other news. Quick question. Which other companies were inspired by Amazon's example of focusing on growth rather than profitability for many years? Companies like Uber and WeWork, and also Netflix. And how has that been going for the company? Well, the New York Times reports that for many years, a lot of observers wondered if Netflix was a real business or just a debt-ridden house of cards. Since 2011, the company had borrowed $16 billion to fill its content slate and keep the company afloat. And despite spending more money than it took in, every time Netflix increased subscribers, investors rewarded it again because investors had been trained uh, with, from the Amazon example to reward growth and I would say land grabs uh, over straight profitability. But Netflix recently hit a financial milestone that changes that narrative. It announced that it would finally become a self-funding business and anticipates being sustainably cash flow positive this year, which means that the cash flow from their operations will be enough to fund them going forward. So it seems that Netflix's gamble paid off. It also set a daunting milestone. The company didn't become a positive free cash flow business until it surpassed 200 million subscribers, which took over 20 years. Turning now to the most positive news story of the week on the COVID-19 front, a hugely important milestone was reached. More people have now been vaccinated than have passed away from the coronavirus. More than 152 million vaccine doses have been administered globally across 75 countries. And in the U.S. in particular, more Americans have now received at least one dose than have tested positive for the virus since the pandemic began. This seems to bode well as it could represent the turning of the tide in the fight against coronavirus, which would be an incredibly welcome development given what we've all been through in the last year. The world has been focused on saving lives and at the same time preserving livelihoods as best we can. And returning to business again for a moment, we know it's still pretty tough out there for many. So we wanted to share a few words of wisdom and encouragement that have helped us over the years which we'll do in our next segment. Join us in the executive suite. Are you running a business now and trying to find and win new clients? Or perhaps you are job hunting and going on interviews? 
When it comes to situations such as these, sometimes rejection can feel a bit demoralizing if we let it. How can we prevent that from creeping in? In my experience at those times, it's been helpful to remember that yes lives in the land of no, as top success coaches Steve Chandler and Rich Litvin say. And business philosopher Jim Rohn says, it's important to discipline our disappointment so that we can remain positive and stay on track so that we can carry on and be in the right frame of mind to keep going and try again. So let's not be put off when things don't go our way. As they say in life, a delay is not a denial. And I would say provided that you have a good proposition on your hands and that you're getting in front of the right people, etc. And if not, well, then remember either we succeed or we learn. And we learn what it takes to make it into a success. And then we pay that lesson and learning forward to invest it in our next attempt. So we learn and try something new, but we do keep on going. And let's keep on going until we're getting the results we want. And yes, we do need to be open to new approaches, be alert to signals from the market and from recruiters, from prospects, from colleagues, family, friends, and be open to trying new things. The key is that we persist in the face of these challenges. Then when we do finally get to yes, it is that much sweeter. And we may be so much closer than we think. You may be like the miner who quit digging just three feet from gold. Or even like the founder of SpaceX. Have you heard that story of how Elon Musk founded the company? When Musk began looking into the idea, he encountered that old adage, oh, what's the fastest way to become a millionaire in the space industry? To start out as a billionaire. Musk knew this and he did not fully expect to succeed. He realized the odds were stacked against him, in fact. But he also felt that this was a very worthwhile endeavor for humanity and that it, we had to try. So what did he do? He staked his entire personal fortune into founding SpaceX. And with that, he had enough funding for three launches, all of which failed. What did Musk and his team do then? Well, they got really resourceful and searched up and down and managed to scrape together just enough spare parts for one final all or nothing attempt. And that one worked. In this case, it was the fourth time that was the charm. Otherwise, we may never have heard of SpaceX. And on that note, I'd like to share a poem that has inspired me over the years. You may have heard this one before, but it bears repeating in times like this. Every day we need to choose and set our attitude and choose which mindset we will adopt. The poem is called Don't Quit by John Greenleaf Whittier. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure comes about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. So happy hunting for those yeses in the land of no. They're out there. And remember, what you're seeking is also seeking you. And that's the view from the executive suite. Thank you for listening. 
That's all for this episode. Tune in next time for the latest insights and hidden gems from the world of business. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. For any feedback, suggestions, or questions you'd like us to cover, you can email us at krego at lxauk.com and on LinkedIn at karl-rego. Until next time, onwards and upwards. And thank you for listening. Rego's Review, signing off.